0: Hey, everyone, it's uh, good afternoon for a change. Uh, it's going to be episode 55, and I just simply titled it That Thing Happened, uh, the thing that we've all been talking about and journos and progressive left uh, have been dreading. Actually, happened. Yeah, Elon Musk closed his purchase of Twitter on Friday. This shit always happens when I try to go on vacation or just like a break. I just didn't want to do anything. You know, I would still be on Twitter and stuff like that, but... Uh, I've now churned out three or four pieces over this and other stuff and uh, just doesn't feel like it. But that's kind of how it rolls. A um, couple topics uh, on the subject of Elon Musk getting Twitter. Uh, we saw the kind of freak out that I think everyone, certainly I myself, thought I would see. Um, Maybe even a little bit more subdued because people were preparing themselves for it. We obviously had... Um, that of which we do not speak of technology reporter at the Washington post say that it feels like the gates of hell had opened on Twitter, which just made it sound even cooler. Um, Musk has not really done much as far as content moderation or the thing that everyone is talking about, which is bringing back a certain former president to the platform. And I don't really have an opinion on that. I think, must should allow anybody that he wants back on the platform or don't. I don't really care. What I do think is interesting that all the same journalists and the same people on the political left who are worried about Trump coming back to Twitter are the same people who post everything he says on true social anyway. Uh, So there's obviously, you know, a a glowing hypocrisy there. The thing that, the most significant thing that he did is he basically terminated the entire CFO CEO team. And that include a a woman named Vijaya Gad, And she was the, uh, she's chief counsel. She was also head of what was called, uh, safety, product and safety. And what that meant was she ultimately was the one who made the decision to ban Donald Trump. And as I've noted, they always use the guise of safety under to promote censorship. It's how they do it. Uh, we just saw this thing this week with, uh, Ben Shapiro, I guess, going to speak at, I don't know if it was the University of Michigan, but he was going to speak in Michigan. And a student body released a letter saying Ben Shapiro's presence on campus will put people in danger. It will endanger their safety uh, by allowing him to speak. Those two things always go hand in hand. And so, Jai Gad to me is just a typical boilerplate SF liberal um, who basically says, you know, more speech on Twitter means more people in danger. And that was the guise of wonder under which she banned Trump. And I would assume several other accounts Um, where I think there needs to be transparency on this is what happened with the New York Post story. And I made my intentions clear with that because it's safe to assume we we don't know who at Twitter blocked the story. We don't know who stopped it from spreading. We don't know who blocked accounts, who banned journalists. Uh, Jake Sherman from Punchbowl News had his account actually suspended briefly for sharing it. And my suspicion is that she was the one who was also behind that at the behest of certain journalists. What I think happened with the New York Post story, and I don't have a ton of evidence other than I know how these people behave, is that when the New York Post dropped that story on Twitter and on social media that day, several journalists got in touch with who I believe now to be Vijay Gad and said, you need to stop the story from spreading. She contacted her engineers and they did so. And then later on, only Jack apologized for it. Uh, what's interesting is Nile Patel, from who's the editor-in-chief of The Verge, which, interestingly enough, used to live right down the hall from me in uh, Brooklyn, Williamsburg, but I don't think he knows who I am. It's, just, it's funny. I'd see this dude kind of, you know, waddle off to work every day, and I'd just be like, man, I know who you are. Um, but he wrote he quoted something from uh, a website called TechDirt, saying, quote, Gad did more for free speech on the internet than almost anyone else I can think of. This is going to be the hardest lesson for everyone in this whole thing. Elon is now in the business of fighting off governments around the world. So I guess they're saying that Gad was the one who pushed Twitter to cover Ukraine or the protests in Iran or the Arab Spring. I don't know what that means. What I do know is this is a complete contradiction of who she actually is. And as I noted on Twitter, uh, she apparently is a person who let China and Iran officials post Holocaust denials and, you know, Uyghur camp and COVID denials and anyone questioning the lab leak, which is now acceptable now, by the way, um, did this with, you know, unfettered, let them post anything they want. And uh, while blocking accounts that basically just tepidly insulted journalists or told them how to learn to code. And as I said, there's a great segment on Tim Cast and Joe Rogan, with her, stating that. She said that that was coded language. And, of course, it's not. It came from journalists. It's no different than Let's Go Brandon coming from journalists. We didn't create that meme. They did. So I basically told him to just go fuck himself with that. And uh, I said, you know, basically what these tech reporters are angry about with Musk and Twitter is simply losing their contacts inside Twitter. And it's safe to assume GAD was probably one of their biggest leakers and sources with journalists. Uh, if you listen to interviews with her, she talks very much someone like Nina Jankowicz, which is turning Twitter into a platform for blue checks and journalists to dictate to you what is happening and you not talking back. Several things that have been implemented, being able to turn replies off, uh, hiding, blocking, et cetera, things like that, were all meant to limit Twitter's interaction features, which is funny to me because, as I've said, no company hates their product more than Twitter. They're, they're so interested in making sure you can't use it, that basically people just leave it for other things. Um, If you tweeted things like men can't have babies, it was an instant ban. But if the Ayatollah of Iran, you know, denied Israel's existence and threatened nuclear war against it, that was allowed. And she and other Twitter executives think that we can't see this. The thing with Elon Musk to me is inevitable. It was Twitter could not go on in this model. So whether it was Musk or someone else, to me, that this is a natural pendulum swing. I don't, I don't know what he's going to do with this platform, but I do know it's probably not going to get any worse. And one of the things people aren't even discussing is, uh, excuse me, that's not a beer, um, is the usability features of Twitter are horribly bad. And before he gets into content moderation or bringing Trump back or any of the social stuff, I think people are ignoring that Elon Musk is, you know, kind of an engineer. He's a technical guy first. And I think his goal first is going to come in and say, okay, what's working and what's not? uh, As far as usability, UX and UI features and user interface and, you know, looking at things like, why is this blue button on your phone covering up one of the tweets? You know, things like that. Um, which Twitter just can't stop doing. It, Facebook's the same way. You have kind of a bunch of billionaire autistics who just can't stop fiddling with their toy and just leave it alone. And so I think that that's also being completely under-discussed is, again, how how what is going on with the functionality of Twitter. Um, one of the other things, and I've, I've dabbled in this before, is... This idea of shadow banning and ghost banning, and you've heard people talk about it. You know, I know Project Veritas has gotten underlings in Twitter talking about it, but it's kind of one of those vague things out there where uh, you don't really know. And as I've stated in the past, um, somewhere roughly in the last two years, I myself, as just someone who has a large follower account, have noticed my account just slow to a crawl, uh, my numbers aren't increasing, whatever. It's not something I really pay a whole lot of attention to. And I'm certainly not one of those people who's ever been like, I'm being shadow banned. Retweet if you see this, but it, you're like, whatever. I just, that, that's cheesy. It's dumb. It's pleading. I don't like it. But I have noticed it. And uh, I've noticed that it also takes an impact on my personal podcast, which I use mostly Twitter to advertise. And I've noticed a slowdown there. And that could just be me. I don't know. Maybe people are sick of my shit. So I'm willing to accept that as well. However, And this is kind of notable to me. Uh, There's a website called Social Blade, which accurately kind of tracks your account and how much followers you can pick up or whatever. It tracks your statistics and whatever. And in fairness, I don't know how super accurate it is. But food for thought here. Uh, On Monday, October 17th up to Friday the 28th. So basically 10 days. Uh, I was plus 253, plus 308, plus 88, plus 200, plus 201, plus 155, plus 160, plus 223, plus 249, plus 312. The day that Elon Musk walked into Twitter, plus 1,017, and as of yesterday, plus 2,570. So something there caused right on that day that Elon Musk went in and said to engineers, let me see your coding uh, suddenly follower accounts are increased. Of course, there was also purges of bots and things like that. Um, but again, it's one of those things that I just kind of, huh, I go food for thought. Um, but again, something that fascinates me is just no one's really valuing the user bil- the usability and the functionality of what Twitter is. And that's what's going to be, I think, more interesting to me than who is not permabanned anymore. The other thing, the other story going on uh, is this attack on Paul Pelosi in San Francisco and how it's being used. And there's a lot of interesting things that have suddenly popped up around this story, and there's things that are not really, I don't want to say, adding up. And not to get uh, conspiratorial here, but what we were told is that at roughly 2 a.m., what was it, two nights ago, Paul Pelosi was attacked by a home intruder with a hammer uh, who entered the premises asking, where is Nancy, and therefore looking like it's a political attack. When the identity of this guy was revealed, was supposedly he had a blog online. Um, at first, it was re- he, he was living in a storage uh, unit, and then he was living in kind of a hippie collective. Uh, if you've been to San Francisco, any house is a hippie collective. You need seven people to be able to afford rent. Um And he supposedly had a blog where he was doing, he was delving into all like the worst extremes of the political right. So QAnon and election denial and Holocaust denial and and all of these things that are in the news lately, especially as it, you know, retains to Kanye West. So it certainly looked like a politically motivated attack. And when details like that come out, you're expecting like a dude in tactical gear and uh, black ski masks and zip ties and combat boots and all of the things that you would associate with, say, someone storming the Capitol or whatever. And as more and more details of this have come out, and, and they've already used this, they've already used this attack, Obama's used it, uh, Warnock used it, Steny Hoyer today used it, obviously the Washington Post and Ashley Parker are now tying it to a joke McCarthy made about hitting her with a gavel, and this joke was made over a year ago. And so there are things that are not adding up and I'm going to give you like a basic core tenet of journalism here. Uh, We've learned more details that supposedly this attacker was in the house with a hammer and was only in his underwear. Well, that to me raises journalistic questions. Okay. And it's, and I know what's going on on social media. And it's funny to me. It's hilarious. I, You know, I'm retweeting jokes and stuff like that. Um, but in all serious, there's some serious discrepancies about what's going on. And obviously, um, there's a kind of a funny joke going around. We're saying this is the second time in just a few months that Paul Pelosi's been hammered. And this is a guy with kind of a little bit of a checkered. I don't want to say past, but uh, he's certainly no Hunter Biden, but he's certainly no, uh, you know, Practicing Catholic preacher, and so we heard. We we then learned that this man uh, who was in the house. We learned his identity. His name is David de Pep or Pape, which is funny because it's like Pepe, which I think is funny to me. Um, and more and more comes out about this guy in the end. But now you're seeing a lot less curiosity amongst journalists about exactly the details surrounding this incident. The only person who's done to me any decent. Journalism on this is Michael Schellenberger. He ran for governor. Uh, he tried a primary Newsom or whatever, and it didn't happen. Uh, he has a substack. He talks a lot about what San Francisco's become as far as just, you know, an unbearably drugged out wasteland. And if you follow him, he, you know, he lives there. And so he, he wrote a book called San Francisco, and uh, he's very, very knowledgeable. He talks to addicts on the street. And he has a good thread here and it says uh, about who this guy is and it says the media are portraying the suspect in the attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband as a man fundamentally driven by right-wing ideology but it's obvious to anyone who looks that what drove David DePape to violence was drug-induced paranoid psychosis he said neighbors described him as a homeless drug addict with a politics that was until recently left-wing but of secondary importance to his psychotic and paranoid behavior as i discovered yesterday DePape lived with a notorious local nudist in a Berkeley home, complete with a Black Lives Matter sign in the window and an LGBTQ rainbow flag, emblazoned with the marijuana symbol hanging from a tree. He also shows a photo that, either on a truck or a mailbox, 9-11 was an inside job. He says, what I know about the, uh, quote, what I know about the family is that they're very radical activists. They seem very left. They're all about Black Lives Movement, gay pride, but they're very detached from reality. They've called the cops on several of the neighbors, including us. That's a quote from a neighbor. It says, quote, it's really weird to see that they are willing to be so aggressive towards somebody else who is also a lefty. A closer look reveals the characteristics of a homeless encampment or what Europeans call an open drug scene. In the driveway, there is a broken down camper van. On the street is a yellow school bus. Kamala loves those, which neighbors said to occasionally stayed in. Both are filled with garbage typical of such structures and homeless encampments. People come and go from the house and the vehicles, neighbors say in part to partake in the use of potent psychedelic drug. Again, they go to Mexico and get this drug that's legal there, and they bring it back here, and they treat people. Not all of the news media missed his history of drug use, psychosis, and homelessness. CNN reported that a woman named Laura Hayes, who said she worked with him 10 years ago making hemp bracelets, said he had been living in a storage shed. He talks to angels, she said, and told her that... There will be a hard time coming. Another woman, Linda Schneider, told CNN that she got to know him around 2014 and he was still homeless, living in the storage unit and using hard drugs. But much of the rest of the news media were swept up in the narrative that he is more like John Wilkes Booth, the fanatical but sane assassin of Abraham Lincoln and John Hinckley Jr., than a mentally ill man who shot Ronald Reagan. In truth, the paper is much more like one of the hundreds of psychotic homeless people I've interviewed in recent years, than the fanatical climate ideologues who have been writing about in recent weeks. Wrapped up in their obsession with MAGA Republicans, journalists have missed the real story that the paper is not a microcosm of the political psychosis gripping America in general. Rather, he's a microcosm of the drug-induced psychosis gripping the West Coast. He writes a whole thing on the Substack about this. But again, we know that none of this interests the Washington Post or doesn't interest the political left. They have just used this now to say that Donald Trump and the political right are responsible for this. I have questions about the specific incident. and there's a, there are basic core tenets of journalism. It's the five W's, you'll learn them in grade school, you learn them in junior high and high school if you take a journalism course. It's who, what, when, why, where. Pretty simple stuff. So the when, well, we know what happened at roughly 2.30 in the morning, two nights ago. Where, we know it was the residence of the Speaker of the House in San Francisco. Um, who we know that it involved her husband and this guy, David DePape. except Politico's now reporting David DePape forced his way into the home through a back entrance. Officers arrived at the house, knocked on the front door and were let inside by an unknown person. They discovered DePape and Pelosi struggling for a hammer. And after they instructed them to drop the weapon, Scott said DePape took the hammer and violently attacked Pelosi. There's a third person in the house, yet unknown. That's a that's an interesting detail. We should probably look into that one. If you're a journalist, if a police officer or someone you're talking to throws that one out there, that's when your spiny sense should go off and say, What do you mean unknown person? Oh, we have yet to identify them. Okay, what do they look like? Were they dressed? Were they was it the maid? Was it a live in housekeeper? Who what like what is this? And you said that they just let you in, the front door. Okay. Axios is not even reporting, neither is the Washington Post or CNN, that there was a third person in the House. So now now we know they're ignoring that detail, which, again, someone like me, who's not generally very conspiratorial, is looking at this saying, who's this unknown person? How are they opening the door? Was it an accomplice? Was it a housekeeper? Was it the live-in maid? Who who is this person? Because unknown person seems pretty broad. So I guess we'll have to find that one out later. The other thing we learned is that the Pape was supposedly almost completely nude, which he's a nudist, so that doesn't seem, and in his underwear, and we were told that as the police entered, they were both holding a hammer, so they, they were fighting over it. He also made the 911 call from his charging phone in the bathroom. So it sounds like the Pape showed up at the house, this is the narrative we're hearing, said he's looking for Pelosi. He was going to keep them hostage. He was going to keep Paul Pelosi hostage until she showed up. He secretly called the police who then arrived and someone answered the door and let them in. I'm I'm willing to concede all of that, except I'd like to know who this third person is. Um, also, I have just basic questions about how DePape got into the house. Not so much jumping a fence or, getting past security or anything like that, how he arrived at the house. Did they recover a vehicle from him? Did he walk? How did he get to the residence? How did he physically get to the residence? We don't know. Nobody's asking that question. And so there are circumstances around this to me that look fishy. Uh, It doesn't mean that it's invalid, but to me, my attitude is this. If you're going to put unknown person in your story, Where we previously did not know this, and we're not getting police reports, we're not getting press conferences, they're not releasing information on any of this stuff. And if journalists, for one reason or another, are not interested in the basics of finding out information, like identifying an unknown third person that we were just told about in the middle of a deadly attack, then they have very little standing to complain when people run with homosexual conspiracy theories on social media. I just don't care. Um, they should be out there doing their job, and that's it. And like I said, there's several uh, other outlets who aren't even reporting this third person, so why not? So there are questions to me surrounding this incident. Does that mean it's not on the level? I don't know. Um, so there's a, that's, this is a story that's kind of out there, and it's already being leveraged, again, by the entirety of media. Jay Cappers, of course, doing his honest pull-the-glasses-off-Edward R. Murrow act on it. Um, they're... In a way, to me, this looks like they're using it as a last desperate hope to swing the midterms. Uh, again, that doesn't mean that this was a setup attack. It doesn't mean it was a drug deal or a gay orgy gone wrong. But there sure is a sudden lack of curiosity around the details of this case. And as long as that they and as long as journalists and media don't have curiosity around it, guess what? Everyone else on social media is going to is going to have that curiosity. So. Uh, Just a couple of topics for everyone to chew on. Uh, We'll go about an hour, uh, or as long as people want to call in or talk. Uh, I see that I already have two up there. So, again, um, if you're new to this, uh, just feel free to jump in the queue. And, of course, if there's any other topics on your mind, feel free. Um, I would just request that if you're not speaking, please mute your microphone, just because it makes the published recording sound a lot better and makes it easier for the rest of us to listen to. And uh, also, just please note if there's people behind you in the queue to just kind of be quick. Um, it's not always the case. We just kind of go with a conversation here, but uh, just kind of be kind, courteous, and know that other people might want to get in. So with that, uh, we'll go probably for about, eh, we'll probably go about an hour just so everyone can get on with their weekends. Uh, Robert, you're on uh, Versus Media a lot. Go ahead. Uh, don't tell me they haven't fixed this glitch, uh, Robert. I can't hear you, but this could be a, a glitch
1: with call in. So give it a moment. Oh, okay, uh, can you? I, I got you. Awesome. Uh, now, user error on my part, um, but uh, yeah, I'd love to share with you my uh, experience early voting in Georgia. Um, I
0: uh, <laughs>
1: Well, far from it, actually. Um, I voted this past Tuesday. Uh, Early voting started uh, Monday the week prior. Um, So we've now had two weeks of early voting, uh, including last Saturday and today. Um, I am not sure if, uh, if tomorrow or next Sunday is also available. I could be wrong on that. Um, but we do have the three full week, uh, weeks of uh, weekdays. Um, my, uh, county just has the one early voting location. Um, it's, uh, about 27,000 people in the county, uh, 15,000 registered voters, um, 14,000, uh, active registered voters, and as of Tuesday... So this is, a, this, is a, this is a physical polling place. It's not just mail-in
0: ballot. So it's a place in your county that you can just go to, line up, and go and vote, right?
1: That's right. That's what, right. Uh, pretty much And, and
0: it, uh, what are the hours that it's open? What are the hours of operation?
1: I'm um, not sure if it starts at, at 7 in the morning or 8 in the morning, maybe 8. But they do go until 8.30 p.m. every weekday um so pretty pretty convenient um do, you know do, pretty, they, do they cut the
0: line off at eight thirty or is if 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 it's like eight thirty we're not taking any more people and if there's six people in line they can still vote or just don't you know
1: um not sure but i I assume that if you're uh you know it's a pretty it's it's a little two room uh building uh the one room to sign up in and then the back room to do the actual voting um so i mean it can really only hold uh, 10 voters at a time maximum, um, uh, at least comfortably. Um, But, uh, you know, as of Tuesday, uh, well over 1,500 people had actually voted early. So over 10% of the uh, eligible voting population has already early voted, and that was as of uh, Tuesday this week.
0: And um, did you have any like personal issues with it? Was there were there poll watchers were in <laughs> tactical gear looking over?
1: Um, I found the experience uh, pretty and, easy, and easy. Easy, um, you know, they had uh, three ladies up front for the the you know the paperwork uh, to fill out. Because basically, uh, the, um, the paper application you fill out is akin to uh, an absentee ballot uh, form. Uh, that's basically the form you fill out. Uh, so you fill that form out. Um, and in my case, I am physically disabled, so I have to rely on a caretaker. Um, uh, that one being my mother, uh, Tuesday. And so uh, she also got to vote. Uh, is she is she allowed uh, that, that's correct uh, she does get to uh so so she uh, she got to uh, you know actually hit the screen uh, the touch screen options uh, on my behalf and I just you know the way we did it uh, just to keep names anonymous uh you know to keep others from here' is just a yeah, would you please pick the first choice on the ballot on for that one, second choice, third choice? Uh, so it was uh, you know pretty easy, but she uh, she did that uh, to help me get my uh, vote cast, and then she went ahead and got hers uh, taken care of, and uh, yeah, it was you yeah, know really easy, uh, painless experience. Um, uh, and of course, you know, it's a small enough County where everyone knows everybody. So usually everyone just says hello, at, you know, after your votes are cast and, you know, a little bit of small talk, uh, at least, you know, a little bit of time we, we had, uh, because, you know, it was, uh, you know, pretty busy. It was middle of the day Tuesday. Um, but yeah, o- over 10%, uh, uh, you know, in the. You know what? Eighth eighth day of uh, early voting uh, in that county. So uh, I, uh, I I don't think anyone can really complain that there's not much access to vote. Um, I, we've been doing was this early any, voting busy uh, or uh, past uh, for you know goodness for maybe six years now. Um. In Georgia, and, I mean, it, it's been easy every time. Um, voting really has, has not been uh, a bit of, you know, not been a, a hassle for me anyway. And, again, they've been very accommodating because uh, I have been uh, disabled this whole time. So, uh, you know, for someone who, you know, physically has a lot of trouble voting um, and, you know, has to rely on outside help just to get me, to the polls, uh, the uh, the early voting has been uh, a great blessing.
0: Uh, how would you characterize the mean and uh, rhetoric, or Abrams, or the All Star Game? Was it uh, completely misguided in your opinion, or how would you? how would you rate your experience based on what you've heard from those people? Um, like, I, I, crones, I would call total BS steroids, crones, uh, steroids uh, whatever.
1: to be honest with you. Uh, that has been UK. anything but my experience. Now, mind you, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a rural County. It's not like, I'm, you know, anywhere in suburban Atlanta where things might be, a, a little bit more of a hassle, uh, to get to, uh, appalling place dear lord the traffic alone uh but you know with three weeks of early voting and i know you're not a a huge fan of of voting early um you know particularly because of october surprises but uh for me um you know I, i my opinion is if if you uh if if your opponent uh can't seem to dig up enough dirt on you by the time early voting starts you uh, you're, you're kind of you know sol so um yeah i've i've found voting in georgia to be uh, a you know painless uh, very very convenient
0: um yeah i, I don't think early voting so much when it's October surprises, I understand that that's a concern, but, you know, in the case of, say, John Fetterman, who clearly, his, his he had a campaign strategy to kind of hide de- did him from debating for as long as possible. They basically said, we're going to wait two weeks into early voting, and hopefully the early voting gives us an advantage um, over the race, so however he performs in the debate won't matter Uh, And if he wins, hey, we're sending a, you know, severe cognitive stroke victim to uh, Congress. So it's not really that I have a problem with it, uh, you know, on that end, as far as like you said, October surprises. And if you can't find enough stuff to dig up on people. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. You could you could make the argument. How many people have early voted in Georgia when the second story came out about Herschel Walker and Gloria Allred right there? Uh, I'm willing I'm willing to kind of believe the first story. But if you're going to attach Gloria Allred to you, man, (laughs) that's just going to get. Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. I don't look at it so much as, say, uh, you know, early voting affects October surprises as much as. You have somebody like John Fetterman, who his campaign took advantage of early voting in that in that way to hide a condition and get as many early votes as possible. Uh, they just released the first post debate, by the way, and it's Oz is now up three and he's sixty four thirty nine with independence. And that's. That's the number that the Fetterman campaign was always worried about, which is not – they know they have a base of support in Pennsylvania. They'll vote for a turnip if that's what they put out there, and they pretty much did. And uh, and then, of course, you know, Republicans know they have their support, and Oz's traction has always been he's not – the base isn't coming home to him in Pennsylvania, and it could be anti-Trump. It could be pro-Trump. They think he's a squish or whatever, um, but it's independent voters that uh, the Fetterman campaign, in my opinion, was always worried about. You know, what if people see his condition and they don't make up their minds or whatever? And then he goes out and debates and now we saw what happened. And so now the polling's out that 6439 leaning toward Oz. And that is a fatal number for a campaign if you're uh, if you're Fetterman. So, um, yeah, uh, it's I, I appreciate I like getting insight from, you know, as I've always said, the reason why I don't really do this with guests um, or anything like that, is I like getting insight from people in their real experience. When you have a media telling us, you know, this is Jim Eagle, this is Jim, Jim Crohn's steroids. And it's always great to have somebody kind of call in and say, no, this is this was my personal experience. And no, th- this is not what it is. So uh, I appreciate it, Robert. I'll give you a last word.
1: Uh, yeah, well, thanks for having me. Uh, and uh, today being a big day for Georgia fans and Florida fans everywhere just wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, my uh, fellow suburb uh cynical lizard, uh, who will be battling against my Georgia dogs. Uh, I just wanted to throw him a virtual cocktail out there for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Uh, go dogs. Uh, cheers, Stephen. Who, uh,
0: who was the coach that he just, you know, the Georgia football coach who just died? Um I don't uh, I don't watch minor league football but I do know
1: um who is this guy Georgia football uh, uh, Vince, Vince Dooley God rest his soul, the greatest uh, damn good dog of them all uh yep so somebody, uh,
0: somebody noted that it's probably you know what they just Obama and Warnock just had a rally and they noted uh it's probably really bad for them that uh Vince Dooley died in Georgia because that's where everybody's attention is going to be so yeah uh, uh,
1: interesting.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Robert. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling in. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Cheers. Samuel, you're up. What do you, what are your student loan
2: paperwork? I'll have an update on that. I've not heard back from the uh, awesome department of education yet. So only God knows how long that's supposed to take.
0: Uh, the Biden administration said payments, should be going out in the next two weeks. The problem oh, is yeah. uh real, real quick, I was under the impression done. a judge put a stay on it and the, I was I was talking with Charles Cook about this and he said they can accept applications, they just can't disperse anything until that's cleared up, but I don't
2: know. Yeah, well, we also know how much respect they have for the rule of law. So I totally believe them when they say they won't disperse
0: payments. Right. (laughs) Of course. Which they were recommended.
2: Just ignore the court. So, again, another fun problem. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, I just wanted to say just a couple things, mainly because nobody was in the queue, and I just figured, ah, what the hell? Um, (laughs) Thank you, One thing on the Twitter, one thing on the, the Elon Musk Twitter thing is um this fraud Heath Mayo he's one of the people i love just to read his twitter feed cuz it's just full of crazy shit well like yesterday and we're all talking about like this increase in engagement and i mean again not a huge fan of the shadow banning bullshit but like it's clear that engagement something they took the lever off something because like okay Ben Shapiro tweeted every time twitter lets it clamps off my follower count spikes Today, by over 40,000 in just a few hours. That's not a coincidence. And then Heath Mayo comments, Okay, folks, if you don't tweet out your victim status today by referencing some element of your Twitter engagement, you aren't really right-wing. Man, babies everywhere. He's not even complaining. He's literally just pointing out that his follower counted spikes. And that, for some reason, is a problem. And then he also attacked Kyle Smith, formerly of National Review. You know, really MAGA right winger Kyle Smith. He said, Prob just a coincidence, but the same day Elon Musk takes over Twitter, one of my tweets gets 20,000 likes after roughly six months of pretty much zero engagement on anything I've tweeted. And he said, and Heath Mayo says, Unreal how much these people love a good conspiracy theory. All of their own previous failures are magically explained by other cabals that were long arrayed against them on everything from lost elections to their poor Twitter engagement. It's just pathetic. You're attacking Kyle Smith as a conspiracy theorist? Kyle Smith?
0: Well, he's dishonest. So, I mean, that's... um, You're talking about someone who's kind of made a brand off of... I don't want to say punching up, but certainly just trying to get people to... I guess, engage with him in certain ways. I'm certainly one of those people until he blocked me because uh, he didn't like some of the things that I was saying. Um, so I guess I don't, obviously it's just pointing it out. And you've, and you've heard me speak my tone. I'm it's not, it's not about being a victim. It's just something people are noticing. And yeah. Michael Malice, for instance, noticed it. And that's where I posted my engagement number. I'm kind of like, eh, you know, it's something that the, the last time this happened was when Musk was looking at buying Twitter and he took a tour of the building. It was the same days. And my, my follower count just spiked. And I'm like, "Huh, that's interesting. That's, you know, I just, I noticed it. Um, it's not something I, I pay attention to. Anyone who listens to the podcast, whether I don't talk, I really talk, I don't care. Um, I, have, I have people now telling me they see my tweets and I don't know. I don't know how all of that works i like transparency on it. I think it was also Jesse Singal and Katie Herzog noted it as well. Jesse Singal, not really a conspiracy theorist, kind of said it in the same vein. It's kind of like, you know, this is weird. We just noticed this. And, you know, we're not suggesting that Twitter's putting the brakes on or hiding accounts, but it, it, some transparency sure would be great. And that's one of the things that if Elon truly is the kind of shit-posting chaos lord that everyone is making him out to be. These are the things that he could clear up. He, he really could. And, of course, you know, we had the cat turd account who tweeted knew the most this is, I'm, mine being throttled here, and that's the stuff I don't like. Like, it's just kind of like, one, why give them the satisfaction? Two, it's their platform. If they're going to do that to your account, I mean, what can you do to stop, what can you do to stop it? Not much. It's always kind of been my philosophy is to just kind of tweet through it, I mean. And just say, hey, I'm not going to give you assholes the benefit of the doubt. You know, I'm not going to give you the pleasure of seeing me tweet. that. Oh, what happens in my The big shadow band, retweet me immediately. Um, and I think it's just kind of cheesy when people do that. I think it's cheesy when anyone tags Elon Musk. I did it last night. And then I, I, I did a tweet where I just was like, and I'm not going to do this anymore. Because it's like, what do you <laughs> think he's going to do? You know? Like, it was always when, fix this, Elon Musk, like, three weeks ago or a month ago, like, someone got someone gets banned and someone's like, fix this immediately, Elon Musk. Like, what do you think he's going to do? Like, oh, okay, I'll get right on that. You know, I'm, like, I'm not fucking busy. Um, I, I, I guarantee the guy looks like he has a lot of fun. Um, but as you noted, I mean, it's just dishonest. You're, you're talking about someone who's just, he's kind of made a career at trying to get noticed by people. And uh, I guess that's all I would say about it. And like I said, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that there's many more dishonest people who claim to be on the political right than that whole crew. Um, and so I've just kind of gone about not talking to her about them anymore.
2: Well, I guess my only pushback would be, I really would argue he hasn't made a career of it. I mean, he has 60,000 Twitter followers, which whatever, they're Twitter followers. But I would just say, Um, at least the other frauds on the uh, so-called never Trump right are actually good at grifting. Like say what you will about the, the pedophile project. At least they know how to grift and how to raise money. Well, this they've had
0: years of practice anything. in doing
2: it, so I mean, yeah, I can't do anything. Somebody like Mail was
0: aiming to run for Congress. He was aiming to run for Louis Gomert's seat, and that's that comes from several reliable sources. And I, that's not going to happen. He's not going to Congress anymore. So I what guess what 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 is your other option? Um, you know, it's something where, like we said about the principals' first conference, and I and I don't really care about conferences and things like that. I, I care about them in the sense of. You just have a room full of people talking to themselves, and I don't really know what that accomplishes. But um, how, how that came to be on my radar is they th- they threw me in. Uh, I noted that Mayo was talking about canvassing for Joe Biden, and I just noted, well, that you're not a conservative. If you're, if you're canvassing and voting for Joe Biden, you can call yourself a lot of things, but you're not that, and you should just come clean and admit, hey, I'm switching teams. The problem is, is people like that know they lose their usefulness because there's nothing kind of the media loves more than, you know, uh, someone who claims they're a Republican or conservative clowning on the political right. Um, And so how that group kind of came across my interest is I guess they name I didn't know about them until they name checked me at the conference. And I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. okay. And they then put me on their advertising And quoted me and I and I call, I was like, this is a bunch of frauds. Like, what is this? And, uh, they, they grouped me in with like Seb Gorka and, and, uh, a few other like prominent MAGA world people. And I just told him, I said, this is just dishonest. And anybody who knows me knows it is. Um, I think I'm blocked by Seb Gorka too, by the way. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what I take issue with. I don't really take issue with anything or anyone until they, they purposely go out of their way to misrepresent who I am and what I believe and things that I've said and things that I've written. And then that person, you know, ends up on my radar. And that's, you know, a good example is Tim Miller, who, for some reason, who I, I generally had a good relationship with. And then out of the blue one day is shit talking me, uh, in the, in the pages or online at the bulwark. And I'm kind of like, what the fuck is this? And uh, the second I take issue with it, I, he he then goes out of his way and blocks me as well. And so that's kind of telling that they think they can get away with that kind of behavior, and nobody's going to stand up and take notice of it. Um, but somebody in particular, like Mayo, I've noticed is just he's to me it's not worth a ton of energy. It's it's worth kind of the you know the jabs on Twitter once in a while when he makes an elaborate and stupid point like he did about. Uh, comparing Fetterman to Herschel Walker. (laughs) And I'm saying, you know, all I could think about was Calvin Candy pointing to the base of the skull with his wand. And I'm like, that's kind of the point you're making here, man, because Fetterman and Herschel Walker do not have similar conditions. Um, You're just simply, you're comparing. And the, the thing with Fetterman and Herschel Walker is an interesting comparison to me because you can make an argument that, Herschel Walker might have CTE from, you know, years of playing football. He's talked about he's had personal, uh, you know, he's had versions of schizophrenia and uh, multiple personality disorder, which I think we could use because it's technically if you vote him, you're sending about 12 senators to the you know <laughs> the U.S. Senate. And he sh- each one of them should be able to vote. I'm serious. I wish somebody would make that case just to see the political left and say, hey, this is ableism here, man. Why is it not ableism? when you go after herschel walker's mental health but it's ableism when you when you point out that shotgun frankenstein can't speak um but i i'd love to hear someone just in jest kind of like make the point that uh because of herschel walker's multiple personality disorder we should be able to get 12 votes um out of him and just just i just would love to see someone make that case, because that's the kind of thing somebody on the fucking political left would do and say, hey, if he's got 12 personalities, those are 12 unique different people and they should all get to vote. Um, but the idea that Herschel Walker's condition is anywhere near similar to John Fetterman, well, we see Herschel Walker kind of has, you know, a slurry level of Southern ebonics. OK, and he says crazy shit and once in a while and he holds up his badge and we get all of that. Um, but the idea that, uh, Herschel Walker is, he's out on the campaign trail. He's speaking to crowds. Um, he's been a kind of a motivational speaker for years, which has honed that kind of charisma he has. I don't know if I would vote for him if I lived in Georgia. I don't know if I would vote for Warnock. Obviously I'm not going to vote for Warnock either, but what was interesting last night, Obama said, uh, and I wish I should, God, I'm just going to find this quote, bear with me. But he basically said, um, You you don't want, you know, Herschel Walker was a great football player. Yeah, here he goes. This is, uh, thank you, Aaron Rupar. Uh, Some of you may not remember, but this is Obama's quote. Some of you may not remember, but Herschel Walker was a heck of a football player. Does that make him the best person to represent you? Let's say you're at the airport and you see Walker and you say, hey, there's Herschel, Heisman winner. Let's have him fly the plane. And I thought that this was such an apt example about how out of the loop Obama actually is. Because I guess I would, I would say, to, I'd say to Obama, uh, is Raphael Warnock a pilot? I mean, if you want to get literal on this, is can Raphael Warnock fly a plane? Um, and then this was the whole thing that they were making about John Fetterman. It's like they're trying to make the case that we should be able to, you know, they, they just go under the guise of disability. He's representing disabilities in Congress. You know, he's he's but you don't go. No, his brain is mashed potatoes. He can't read like an intelligence report. okay? And it's this idea of, you know, like the Simpsons episode with Be Like the Boy with Brad, the motivational speaker. And he's like, hold on here. You know, when Brett, you know, Bart's yelling shit at his speech and he goes, brings him up and he goes, Hey, tell me why you, why did you do that? And I just felt like it. Bart's like, it just felt like it. And he goes, you do things because you feel like it. And he goes, we should all aim to be be just like Bart. And Springfield just devolves into this chaos of people just doing what they feel like. And there's like a a rally uh, for Brad or something. And the bleachers collapse and like people are all laying there and they're injured and, Someone said, oh, look, someone didn't put in the screw. That was your job. And the guy goes, eh, I didn't feel like it. (laughs) And I think Marge goes, well, I feel like you should have done your job. And then someone says, I feel like you should just shut up. And then they all just get into a huge brawl because everyone took on the attitude of just you should be able to do what you feel like. And that's really the only case they're pushing for Fetterman, which is if this brain-damaged mongoloid wants to be a U.S. senator, even though he cannot read, he cannot understand words that you are saying to him, then we should all step aside and just let him be that. Um, Another interesting thing along this, and this is a story I haven't even really gotten into, Sashim Littlefeather. Uh, For those of you who don't know who she is, she was the... uh, American supposed Indian who took to the stage for Marlon Brando when Brando won, I think, the Oscar for Apocalypse Now or or Godfather. It was one of those a little bit before my time. Um, And she refused the Oscar on the grounds of, you know, indigenous people being wiped out, whatever, something like you would think would happen with the Oscars today. Well, she died. And then her family came out and said, oh, by the way, she's never Native American. And they, they gave, like, her whole family history over to this reporter. And this was in the San Francisco Chronicle. Not exactly Breitbart, okay? Um, well, the New York Times picked this up today and said, Sashi Littlefeather, who died October, and basically they proved, like, her name was Cruz. She was Mexican. Uh, she immigrated from Mexico uh, back in, like, the 1950s or 60s. But she's not Native American. And uh, her sister's like showed the reporter everything to even where the San Francisco Chronicle reporter was like, yeah, this looks bad. Well, here's the New York times. Sasha Littlefeather who died October 2nd became, uh, became famous when Marlon Brando set her to the 1973 Oscars to protest on behalf of native Americans. Now her own sisters and a researcher dispute her ancestry claims. Her defenders say identity is a complex matter. And I knew I was waiting. I said this on Twitter this morning. I was waiting for this. I was waiting for people to come in and defend her. Uh, even though it's like, it looks pretty cut and dry that she's not Native American. In the story, it says Native American, she said, might have hidden. She's talking to one of her defenders, uh, a, a professor. Who says Native American, she said, might have hidden their backgrounds to avoid discrimination or were misidentified. Quote, it's what you feel in your heart and what your belief system is, said norsum who lowercases her name. Just because she's not enrolled or can't be identified in records doesn't mean she's not Indigenous. They literally just said, it's, it's how you feel. If, if you feel like you're an Indigenous Indian, I guess you are. Uh, it says in a statement, the Academy Awards, they went and asked the, the Academy about this and said in a statement on Thursday, uh, the Academy Museum, which hosted an event honoring Little Feather in September, said that it was aware of claims going back decades about her background, but quote, the Academy recognizes self-identification. Cruz said her father, who was deaf and uh, or a chalkboard had never told her about Native relatives. It also goes on in the speech to say, or in the piece to say, that she they couldn't find any records of her. She never claimed or d- even denied that she was a Native. The whole point of the story is, this is not dissimilar to Fetterman, which is if you if he feels like he can serve in the United States Senate, well, by gosh, we should just all let him do that. And if you point out that no, you really can't, you, you're now ableist. But no, it's not ableist when they go after Greg Abbott and it's not ableist when they go after Herschel Walker and it's not ableist when they go after Dan Crenshaw or any of this stuff. Right. And so it's clear hypocrisy. They, they're just trying to drag this big dumb oaf over the finish line and they know what they're doing so they can eventually install his wife. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's interesting to me again, the comparison that they try to say with Herschel Walker with Fetterman because the conditions are nowhere near alike. Um, Herschel Walker, you can argue, might have symptoms of CTE and he's had a checkered past. And do I think that he should be running for senator? Absolutely not. But to compare his condition to a stroke victim who cannot understand words when you speak them to him because of a devastating medical emergency is not the same thing. Something I thought was interesting is uh, Fetterman was at a fundraiser last night where they said he spoke at. We have no video, but they said it. Um, and Oz rolled out a mobile billboard, uh, of the debate outside the arena or outside the, the, whatever the, the location that they were having the fundraiser at in, in, I think it was Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. And they just, Oz just ran the debate. You just played it. And some reporters were like, ah. and I was thinking like, hold on here. That, that got me thinking if Fetterman sat down to watch that debate, Okay. Could he understand what he himself is even saying if there wasn't closed captioning on the screen? I mean, I get it. It's, it's half facetious. I'm being kind of jokey here. But if you said if you wanted to rewatch your debate to see what you did well, what you didn't do well, could he actually grade his performance if there was no captioning in the debate that John Fetterman said he couldn't do without captioning? And we saw his condition with captioning. Um, Again, these are all questions. Nobody, as I said, is asking me now what? What happens if he wins? How does he serve in the Senate? How are we going to officially do this? Are we going to wheel around closed captioning? Does he, as I said, does he drape an iPad around his chest like, you know, Anthony Hopkins in Legends of the Fall? Like, how do we, how do you go about doing this? No one is interested in answering or even asking these questions about should he be elected, should he serve? And now we know why. And according to Selena uh she basically said that she knows that reporters and a couple people have said this, that reporters, uh, in order to print anything Fetterman says, have to has has to have approval from his campaign so they cannot directly quote what he's doing. They have to clean up what he's saying uh, so it sounds coherent in, in print, which is why. What you read when Fetterman writes something and what you see are not the same things. Um, but yeah, as far as anyone, like I said, I know Mayo pointed that out and that's, uh, that's a thing. Um, you've, the, the, the gig with those guys kind of came up with Glenn Youngkin. This was a guy who was not a Trumpian candidate. Uh, he distanced himself from Trump. I think he like thanked for an endorsement or whatever, but that was it. And they all jumped off the boat with this guy. And as soon as he turned around and started maybe doing well, they all went, oh, he's crushing it. And and Mayo himself has contradicted this. But then now that Glenn Young can with Carrie Lake, oh, he's off now. Now we're done. And same thing with Glenn or uh, Kemp, you know, the governor who's taken more ammo and shit than anyone from Donald Trump. Um, he's suddenly not good enough because for some reason, Georgia's elected as the lieutenant governor or candidate, someone who's an election denier. It's it's all a game. They're not coming back into the fold. And people need to realize that. And you just need to call them what they are, which is Democrats and make them live up to that. Um, people like Bill Crystal and people like I think Mayo uh, were not exactly celebratory when Roe v. Wade was overturned and kicked out something that Crystal was advocating as early as 2007. And so to me, the biggest hypocrisy is they should they should have to explain why they changed their positions. And none of them have. They just did. And that's fine. You're people are allowed to do that. There's things that I've kind of fudged on in in recent years and stuff like that. But you should have to be explain. You should have to explain it to your audience. And especially if you're a pundit or someone who I guess is running a group called Principles First. So sorry for the monologue, Samuel. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, just the last thing I'll say on the uh, Obama point about uh, the uh, Herschel flying an airplane. So are we allowed to talk about uh, Congress people's uh, professions before they entered Congress? Like, are we allowed to criticize AOC for being a bartender again? Like, I actually believe we should have more waiters, bartenders, people like that run for Congress. But if
0: The thing with Ocasio-Cortez is I know the political right likes to do that. You don't criticize her for being a bartender. You criticize her for being an intern in Ted Kennedy's office.
2: Oh, 100%.
0: I mean, that's, you know, she's someone who, you know, I think she went to what, the Boston U or Brown U or whatever. And she's someone who, you know, went in on a, on a scholarship and then she went to D.C. And she she was an actual intern in Ted Kennedy's office. And thank God she lived. Let me just put that out there. Um, and to me, that's, that's the line of attack the political right should take on her. You know, she's someone who acts, you know, uh, downtrodden, middle class, whatever. And right now she's living in the Navy yard in DC with a French bulldog and a Tesla, you know, like it's, it's an act is what it is. And she knows it's an act and she knows that eventually the political right's going to attack her on that. And when they do, she just goes, Oh, you don't like middle-class bartenders. And yeah, I mean, you should leave that, that should be completely off the table when going after her. You need to attack her as someone who's been a DC insider since she left college
2: exactly and I, I'm not a fan of celebrity candidates I was not team Oz I was not team Walker I was not team Trump just because I, I don't think we should just have celebrity politics that's not really what I think is best but if we're if you're allowed to talk about well Herschel Walker was only a football player so he shouldn't you know be in the Senate well then what other careers can we start attacking saying that you're not qualified to be running for Congress like what are the acceptable careers you know like do you have to you know, be a state senator? Do you have to get to elected to Congress first? Like, what what are the... I don't know what the acceptable careers are. And that's my point with AOC is, again, I don't have a problem with her being a bartender, but are, should we not allow bartenders to run for Congress? Is, is that what... I, I just don't get the... Like, if, if Herschel was an airplane pilot, like, would that be disqualifying? Like, what... I, I don't get his point in that, you know... Herschel Walker's a football player, so he can't pilot a plane, aka he can't be in uh, the Senate. Well, what are the acceptable careers to get into the Senate? I, that's just what I want to know from from him. What are the careers that you would accept?
0: Well, I think I think the larger point is he's 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 essentially disqualifying Fetterman from the Senate by saying that, which is, are you saying are you saying that Herschel Walker needs a a special training and skills to become an airline pilot yes well you're making the exact opposite argument that your side is making about fetterman which is uh he's he's fit to serve he can serve because greg abbott can't walk um can greg can greg abbott become an air, air airline pilot yeah he probably can you just you know you, you i don't know if you have to work pedals and stuff but you know disabilities, can they still become, you know, other jobs? Right. Someone someone noted, you know, the difference between being ableist is uh, can, Stevie Wonder can't be a musician. Okay. That's ableism. Stevie Wonder can't drive an Uber. That's not ableism. That's just basic qualifications for a job that could get people killed should he decide to do it. Uh, I'm going to try to get through uh, Matt here to wrap up because we're already going over time. Uh, Eric, go ahead. Sorry, I kind of went long, but uh, go ahead.
3: Yeah, um, I, I, I've been sort of quasi following along the uh, Pelosi attack, and part of me wonders like, at what point the political left is going to realize sort of the fire that they're playing with, and like I know at this point we don't know the the motivations of the attacker and all that stuff. But like, I, in a way I'm sort of ashamed of myself that like my first reaction was just to like shrug because this is the same family that, that, uh, condoned the attack against Rand Paul. And it's just, I I just don't know if we're like, if we're ever going to get to the point where we realize sort of the fire that we're playing with by, uh, condoning
0: political and this is where again you should have a, an accountable media come in and basically say no act of political violence is uh, acceptable, except we know that that's not true to them because we see how it 's covered. We see how an attack inside nancy pelosi's house uh, is treated now and is, is being rocketed around uh, the political atmosphere and the media atmosphere is representative of what the political right has become. We also know that they basically, uh, the, the Alexandria baseball shooting was essentially out of the news in the, in three days and uh, the night or the day after it happened, an MSNBC host by the name of Joy Reid stated that so much basically Scalise deserved it because he doesn't believe in universal healthcare and That woman is still on television, and she's still catered to by, again, the supposedly responsible Republicans who hate rhetoric. Uh, We know that the assassination attempt on Brett Kavanaugh got very little coverage. I think the New York Times only did one story on it. Um, We know, and basically the, the, the attitude around that was, well, yeah, I mean, if you don't want to get attacked at your house, don't overturn Roe v. Wade. Don't take away our rights. And we see that the political media essentially agrees with that sentiment as well. We see that this kid, I think his name is Taylor Ellington, get run down in a politically motivated attack and murdered, and it garners no political attention. We see that an SUV kills a bunch of people in Waukesha, and he's, uh, the driver is a BLM black nationalist, and we see that that doesn't get any attention. Um, as does you know when mass shootings are not of the correct skin color, but when they are, then they get complete attention. The f- the thing you notice they're trying, especially Ashley Parker, this fucking ghoul at the Washington Post, noted that a year ago Kevin McCarthy made a joke about you know hitting Pelosi with the gavel or some shit, and she said a year later a man did just that inside of her house, and that's the same shit they did with Sarah Palin and the Gabby Giffords. Uh, they still associate. I mean, Sarah Palin had to sue the New York Times to get them to correct that. And they're trying to do the same thing. And when you see what they're doing out in the open this way, um, you see the hypocrisy, obviously, the Rand Paul attack. Anyone who's out, you know, you have Reed Galen, who's uh, one of the toes that runs the Lincoln Project. Um you know, said any political violence is unacceptable and you can just, as sure as the sun will rise, you can go in, into their tweet history and he's like, I'm starting to, f- I'm not saying I agree with Rand Paul's neighbor, but I understand. And they won't answer for that. You can, you can put the tweet up and they're not going to even answer to it and apologize and say, okay, well I was wrong. Um, so again, this is, this is a demonstration of how media treats the two different aisles. It's not even, I don't, and I don't really give a shit what Regalen says, but it's the fucking hypocrisy. Um, and you're kind of right. It's just going to keep getting worse and worse. And we know, you know, it had this been, I don't know, I don't even know Kevin McCarthy's wife. had this been the thing we saw this happen with a Rubio staffer where a Rubio staffer was mugged and assaulted while canvassing. Don't know if it's politically motivated attack, but he he was just basically had the shit kicked out of him went in an ambulance and every journalist either ignored it or they questioned the legitimacy of it. And you're not even seeing that. In an incident that has a lot of questions around it. And I got to tell you, if anything that comes out on this Paul Pelosi thing that isn't on the level, anything, and I mean uh, police report shows that, oh, he picked this guy up. Um, I don't know what's going on here, If that this was not politically motivated. You know, after election, people better lose jobs. Because that's when pitchforks are going to come out and say, you guys staged an attack or you politicized an attack that was just, I don't know, a homoerotic, a drug deal gone wrong uh, to try and swing an election because we see what they're doing. And and I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of just like, let's just kind of see the details here. Um, As far as shrugging, I don't really shrug it because this shit's just going to get worse. Um, But I see your point. And it's a valid point, and again, it's a point that's caused by our, by our journalists and, and by our media, and that's it. Uh, Eric, one quick last word. Go ahead.
3: Uh, just Yeah, uh, one last thing just to just get your reaction on. Um, yeah, like, I've just been sort of seeing that the – sort of the contradicting narratives around sort of like the – I want to say trans indoctrination, like, in schools, like, where – I'm wondering how they're going to handle this. The media's going to handle this going forward because it sort of seems uh, that the, um, that there's like two narratives. It's like either it's, they're still sort of using, oh, it's not happening narrative. And then when you notice it's happening, it's, oh, you're endangering the health and safety of trans children. And it just sort of seems that once, I'm just wondering what the media's narrative is going to be, like once a lot of these kids that got put on puberty blockers, like all of a sudden start having all these health issues as adults. Um, I'm just trying to think of, you know, like what the, what the media's sort of uh, reaction is going to be like that. Are they, um, and I'm assuming that they're just going to sort of ignore it and even lose more of their legitimacy with, you know, just the everyday public.
0: point. Uh, but you're right. It's, it's the narrative is always, uh, if it's a conservative or Republican, it's there the story. And if it's a Democrat or a progressive or somebody like that, it's we notice it is the story. And that's, again, tale as old as time. Uh, ben, go ahead. Try to keep it a little bit short. We're all trying to get out of here, but go ahead. Uh,
4: just hit your mute button down on the left-hand corner.
3: But I think do there. there you go. Go ahead, Ben.
4: So, um, yeah, I I used to be a pilot. So this whole pilot discussion, I'm completely um, completely <laughs> upset about. <laughs> I'm just like, are you serious right now? Uh, I just it it's actually been like all I could focus on like ever since uh, the Obama thing. I'm just like I'm I'm I feel like I'm being attacked. Okay,
5: tell tell us
0: why can you get, feel that way. Go ahead.
4: Well, we we can get it out of the way now. I was an instructor pilot in the army. Uh Greg Abbott could not be a pilot. Uh I know for a fact that uh Herschel Walker could probably learn how to be a pilot. Um and um John Fetterman probably doesn't even know what a
0: plane is. So could Dan like, could Dan Crenshaw with one eye be a pilot? No. He could not. No. Okay. No, it, it, well, what, what level? So you said, but Herschel Walker probably could. So what yes. level, what level of disability? And this is just say you're hosting, let's say you're hosting a uh, a flight school. Yeah. What, what is the, what is the max? What is the, the very least of disability? Someone could have to be a pilot? Could someone with one arm be a pilot?
4: Uh, No. Okay, so, so, so you gonna, need all of your
0: you're... limbs. Okay. You're
4: going to need all your limbs. You're going to okay. need vision that's correctable to 2020. It doesn't have okay. to be 2020, but it has to be correctable. You can't be colorblind. Um, and can you, you, have can you to be, be hearing can, impaired? You can be hearing impaired. Uh, Why? But you ha- so you still have to be able to hear, but if you have like a correctable hearing aid or something like that,
0: you could do it. No, I'm saying um, deaf, not, not, out, not like out, somewhere in the absolutely out, Okay. Out. I
4: no, you, um, you can't be flying around in airspace, not able to hear the tower. <laughs> like,
0: uh, I'm just trying to figure oh. out I'm just trying to figure out wh- <laughs> what the limit is here because like you said, Obama's like, hey, there's Herschel Walker. He can't fly the plane. Um, it, it if turns if out- the plane isn't okay Here, let's, let me give you another scenario. Yeah, yeah, if yeah, the yeah. plane is in midair and uh-huh. the pilot has a heart attack, uh-huh. And someone says can anyone on this can anyone up here fly this you know and oh there's Herschel Walker and if they pulled him up there and put yeah. Herschel Walker in the chair and said land this with with communication from the tower whatever right. could he do it
4: it would be really hard and I'm'm I'm saying some, <laughs> some people may not walk away from it
0: okay well <laughs> <laughs> some so people are not going to walk away from the Senate either so um oh, in this election yeah, that's so and you're and you're saying with a hundred percent. So could Raphael Warnock probably? He probably could. He could probably you know get in the seat and land it or whatever. Uh yeah. could, John, could John Fetterman be a pilot?
4: There, John Fetterman. There's no way. <laughs> there's no way in hell. He he couldn't be a pilot now. There's no way. Even if he gets better five years from now, he could be a pilot. There's no way. Okay. There's no there's go, no go. way his his skills like his like. Hand-eye <laughs> coordination right now could do it. Much less, he can't put a sentence together. So, I mean, one of the big things about being a pilot is actually being what able did to. You, like, what did you fly in the army? By the way, I uh, flew Apaches for the army for oh, okay. uh, like seventeen years. So okay, yeah. and how
0: yeah. how uh, how similar are the controls? I just I, this is just me completely. I've yeah, never yeah, no. I've never flown an Apache. How similar are the controls of an Apache to uh, like a seven forty seven airplane or just a normal airplane? Similar Someone's or.
4: It's completely different.
0: Okay. So now, my... now we're getting into something else. Could Herschel Walker fly an Apache helicopter?
4: Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. No,
0: no. Go, go ahead with your original point. I'm just kind of like, so, I'm just fascinated by the experience. So yeah. I'm just kind of like trying to figure this all out. So go ahead with the original point.
4: No, I, I just, I couldn't get by that for a little while, but um, I was going to call in. I was going to talk about the Paul Pelosi thing, but you know, uh, somebody asked Could Paul me, Pelosi fly? Could Paul finance.
0: Pelosi be a pilot? <laughs> <laughs> depends on how yeah, much exactly. you yeah exactly or how yeah, much it yeah. depends on how um, hammer he is and you can take that either way
4: i uh before i get into that i just i, I do work in finance and i'm just going to say real quick the double dip is going to be very
0: painful this is going to suck and people need to be ready for it um Yeah, the economic numbers came out and uh, Biden was doing a football spike and the media is like, hey, everything's looking great. And it's just like, why do you do that? Like, if you know, because Biden has people around him who are smart, he would think,
3: who tell him, don't go out
0: there and say great news because you're going to get your ass handed to you again in February. And it's going to make it worse. Yeah. Uh, But to me, Biden is such an old traditional guy where as a politician that's just the switch he's on where whenever he gets something that makes him look good i go out and i say great job and anything that makes him look bad it's not his fault that's just that's just who he is um but i don't i for the life of me i don't understand why like Deese or anyone in his office just go don't go out don't say it's good just go out there and say you know don't say anything go go do it's your this. confused old man thing just like wander off into the woods
4: Go to um, sorry, but yeah, go we ahead. Pay, go right? more
0: on the double dip. Explain why, and just just for people who are in here that may not know, what does that mean? So
4: a double dip is, and we've had a couple of them. So you're going to get a soft, we, you get a soft recession, right? It's basically what we just had. It was a it was a shallow recession, followed by like this anemic growth. Which the only reason we had positive GDP this quarter was because of imports. Uh, sales actually went down, so the consumer actually stopped spending as much we just imported a lot more goods because of the strength of the dollar it's way cheaper to import goods right now than it is to export goods so it's it was all in imports and what you're going to see is you haven't even really seen the firings and the all that stuff start you're starting to see it that you know the 10 major corporations continue to either freeze hiring or start they've started cutting staff by 10 15% Um, You know, Twitter is going to cut it, you know, 69 percent or something like that. Um, But you're going to have you're going to have the real layoffs coming soon. And if you don't have those layoffs come, what's going to happen is you're going to get like a 1970s type uh, stagflation spiral where if the Fed takes their foot off the gas right now, which a lot of people seem to think they're going to do, you're going to. You're going to see inflation start creeping back up again, and then they're going to have to come back a year from now. And Powell's going to have to go, you know, even more Paul Volcker and take rates to something crazy like 10, 12 percent. And, you know, that becomes a real issue because we're 31 trillion dollars in debt and it becomes massively becomes a massive strain on the economy to have to service debt when your interest rates are like eight to 10 percent. but basically the double dip comes, you have the software session, then you have a little, little blip of positive GDP. And then you get the crash, which probably comes second, third quarter of next year.
0: And it's gonna be,
4: you know, it's going to be which is why,
0: which is why Biden is saying, if Republicans win, the economy crashes. Yeah, because they know it's going uh, to. That's, that's why that narrative how many is out know there, it's crash? and that's why Paul Krugman is saying that, and that's why because they know it. They they I mean yeah. again they're not They've studied economics. They're not stupid. So
4: it's, so it's
0: how how can we how can we spin this? And that's exactly what Biden's trying to do. It's like if you yeah. if you turn Congress over to Republicans, they're going to crash the economy. Well, we know in quarter two, quarter three that happens, yeah. and Biden's just going to say, "See, I told you so," and I don't know. How much that's gonna fly i mean i'm sure i'm sure his journal base will run with it um and so what's the good news ben you kind of bummed us out here
4: uh so the good news is um i I don't have really any good economic houses houses
0: will be cheap that'll be the good news
4: houses will be cheap um europe's gonna be worse off than us so like we won't be the worst i guess so you can get excited about that um you know we'll still be better than than germany and the uk which we always pride ourselves in um it's gonna get really bad over there um yeah there's there's not really a lot of good news coming because i mean you're already see i think mortgages uh mortgages were down 10 percent uh month over month which is crazy i mean that's nuts They're down almost 120% since last year, year over year. Um, So, yeah, it's going to get bad. Um, So... I mean, I wouldn't. You know, if you can cut down your vacations this next
0: year, I probably would. Maybe, maybe only take one. <laughs> this is this is my vacation. So, and I'm and I'm having to like I plan to take like three, four days off from working and writing. And then fucking Elon bought Twitter, and everyone jumped out the window. And I was like, <laughs> fuck. I had my I had editors from several sites just like, hey, can you write this up for that, that? And I'm just like, like, damn it like i need to make money so whatever so well i appreciate you doing
4: it I don't, I don't get to call in a lot cuz i have a crazy 4 year old that runs around but when i do i, I enjoy yeah,
0: it yeah i try i try not to do them uh i try not to do them like always late at night i like doing these cuz it's kind of a different crowd and stuff yeah. so
4: well it, last thing and i won't i won't hold you too much but just the the paul pelosi thing and i'm going to i'm going to say this and i know you have to be careful and i know there's some people out there that have to be careful but i Last night I got really fed up with like the Andrew McCarthy's being like, oh, you know, political violence of any stripe is wrong and all this stuff. I'm like, this guy is a lunatic, addled, drug maniac, (laughs) nudist who's running around San Francisco. There's not a Republican within 30 miles of San Francisco.
0: What? Why
4: the fuck do do Republicans have? I'm not. No, I I refuse.
0: Well, if you want to any- be if you want to be super conspiratorial, this guy supposedly wrote a blog that he had for 15 years and a <laughs> bunch of reporters highlighted some of the the QAnon posts, the Pizzagate yeah. posts, the election denial posts, the anti-Semitic posts. Well, last night it was taken down. You can't even view the blog anymore. Yeah. So, if you really really want to get curious about the nature of this attack it's as I said I read Schellenberger where all of the neighbors are like no this dude wasn't a MAGA guy no um, and that that also brings me to an interesting thing about you know political leftists who they 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 want to try and paint you know political conspiracies like this shit strictly to the political right and I would agree that you know a lot of that stuff is but a, a lot of these guys like mass shooters they're not Maga guys, they're like echo fascists, you know. Yes, exactly. Their concern, yes. it, it isn't even around Donald Trump. It's like the, the shooter, the grocery store shooter in uh, in Texas and whatever. These guys, or the guy in Buffalo, he's they're echo fascists, and it's it's far more easier for them to condense it down to oh he's a, he's a maga guy on the right, uh, because and this idea that the thing I don't like is if they have a manifesto they get rid of it. Like, the, a journalist will read it, and they'll pull out lines, but they'll get rid of it. And, you know, for someone like me, where I have to be involved in this shit, I'm kind of like, no, I'd like to read that, please. I'd like to read the whole thing. Um, I mean, it was like, Dylan Roof was the last one that I think I actually went through and read. And the, the interesting thing about Dylan Roof, he was the, shoot, he was the church shooter, is that was clearly an act of white supremacy, but the thing that he wrote about is how alone he was. He couldn't find anyone around that thought the way he did and that was you know that was charlottesville i think or sure was uh no it wasn't charlottesville it was the, the the black the black church it was uh, in south carolina
3: yeah I, I, I did up,
0: write yeah. about it but and that's when they pinned on immediately pinned it on the confederate flag being at the state house or whatever but um he like always what? wrote about how he couldn't find like-minded people and I, that one struck me in the sense of wait a second we're supposed to be told that you know, white supremacy is washing over the country. And here you have a bunch of guys who can't find anybody who thinks like them. Um, that's not to say it's not a threat. It's it's something that will always be a threat, but is it an overstated threat for politics. Well, we saw statistics about that. And we saw whistleblowers that say the DOJ is inflating these numbers. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's inter- like they, they take, they pull what they want, and then they get rid of the thing. They get it off the internet. And I'm thinking that I I hate that practice. Like you should archive it somewhere where people should be able to read it. And again, they're afraid that it's going to radicalize people and stuff like that. But I mean, I look at this and I go, that's the suspicious thing to me. It's not suspicious that he believed this stuff. It's not suspicious that he got into a lot of these far right, extreme, you know, views, but it's suspicious that they just take it down. And only then journalists have the pull caps from it. Um, Andy No is really good at this. He's really good at locating Facebook stuff and social media accounts before they're pulled down. Um, and so in this case, like I said, if you really want to get conspiratorial, um, you know, the, the naked hammer guy, uh, I guess what, like jumped the fence. I'm looking at a thing on Twitter where they they have an aerial view where the back door is broken in. Yeah. And uh, so he, he went in through the back door. So he hopped a fence. I don't know if there's security or anything like that, but this is my question. Did he walk there? Did they find a vehicle? How did he get there? Did somebody drop him off? Um, these are questions that I hope are answered uh, because it, this is just not just look like your typical break in. And, you know, like it, when I when I first heard about this, they made him sound like the fucking Riddler. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you were going to find Paul Pelosi's head wrapped in duct tape. That's, the, that's how they made this sound. And even I, I even made that joke to uh, Jarvis on Twitter. And I'm like. That's not what this is. This is like a fucking naked high on heroin dude with a hammer. Like no zip ties, no any, like he just walked, like he's smashing. I, I I can understand certain things where like Paul Pelosi was perhaps just came down as like, there's a naked dude with a hammer in my kitchen. Okay. <laughs> and he's trying to reason. Like there's things about this. I believe that I don't think are conspiratorial. Like I do like when he made the 911 call, and he was talking in coded language. He was like, sir, you know, David, whatever. Uh, he's a friend. He's okay. Like, I don't hear that and go, he knew him. He knows him. How does he know like that? He just, I think he's doing that on the phone to to keep calm, but there are things in this that are sketchy that aren't being reported. Like who is this unknown person? Well, as a housekeeper is the reason why Mm. the San Francisco police department isn't reporting this person's identity because they're perhaps an illegal immigrant that Pelosi is employing. Yes. So, and then when you, when people like me ask these questions, It's not conspiratorial because you're not releasing information and journalists who see things in the story that might not look favorable to what they're trying to do, ignore them. And if you're going to ignore this stuff and people are going to go on Twitter and go, who's the third gay guy? I'm kind of like, if you guys don't clear this up, this is just what naturally is going to happen. And there are people who are doing it performatively. There's people who are doing it kind of funny. It's not a funny incident, but the fact that you guys aren't being transparent gonna. that's what's going to cause people to just kind of go, hey, how's the orgy going? You know, and so I I don't blame those people. And that's largely my thing on social media, which is journalists are going to cover up information if they're going to block things like the New York Post, if they're going to leave out information, if they're not going to cover the Waukesha attack, if they're not going to do this stuff, then you don't get to complain when people just start covering it in their own way. I, I mean I And it's not healthy, but that's that's the side effect yeah. of them making ideological decisions.
4: But my first thought was like San Francisco is just a drug addled hellhole. Like there's no Republicans there. And when I read through some of this guy's posts, I'm like, this guy sounds more like a crunchy version of like Michael Malice's brother. Where I was just like, <laughs> you know, like I, he's just like an anarchist. That's just like, oh well, you know, he's, he's naked. He's a BLM supporter.
0: How he the fuck Trump. did he get? I'd like to know. Did he plan this? Because this, this guy doesn't sound like he can plan no. his way out of bed in the morning. No. Like, how did he get to the house? This is this is what how this is what I'd like to know. Uh, I mean, toxicology uh, did, report. Right? Did someone drop know. him off? Did because it feels like they just arrested this dude and he's gone. Like we're not seeing him arraigned. They, yep. Nope. Uh <laughs> we're not seeing we're you know, you're not seeing the usual footage of when they march the dude out or we see him in court. It's just like here's the guy that did it. Okay, yeah. can we see him? No. Yeah. Uh, okay, where where is he? Why why aren't there cameras like in the courtroom, like when he's arraigned? I mean, maybe they're just waiting. Cause it is a Saturday, so maybe they're waiting until Monday. Um I don't know how laws work in California that way. Maybe they just fucking released him. I don't know. On cash bail. Um Somebody like seriously got upset. at I, who, who suggested? That? I think it was Jesse Waters and J- Jesse's kind of a putz, but yeah. I'm kind of like, yeah, he's making a point about, you know, people can ransack a fucking Walgreens and just not be arrested. So why not just release this guy then? How dare you? It's like, well, hold on. I'm making the point <laughs> yeah. about uh, when someone, you know, mugs someone and steals their car and shoots them. This person's out three days later. Um, when someone breaks into the house of a San Francisco elite in a, I assume, a gated neighborhood of the Speaker of the House of the United States, and you bash the shit out of him, are you throwing the book at him now 30 years? What, how come How come normal people don't get that kind of protection? So I think those are valid points. I don't know if Jesse Waters is the guy to be making it, but yeah, the, there's, there's, there's questions that need to be answered around this, that this is not... You know, I, I kind of like what, you know, Smug is doing and like what Smug is saying. I'm, I, I just highlighted this and I'm like, hold on here. What is this? There's a third person? And, and Smug's like, where is it? So he just says, I don't get what's weird. Paul's wife was out of town. A nudist with a hammer forced his way in through some back entrance and a mystery third man let the cops in. Seems normal. <laughs> like, yes. Th- these are like, who is the mystery third person? Because I'm willing to bet if, if I had to put money on it, if I had to put chips on it right now... It's probably an illegal immigrant immigrant. housekeeper. The San Francisco police department doesn't want to identify this person because they think that they're going to get deported and it's going to be a political point. And this is my whole point. It shouldn't matter who this person is. I don't care about their status. Mm -hmm. Um, It's obviously going to look bad if she's employing an illegal immigrant, but isn't that their whole thing? Like Pelosi can spin that. Um, So yeah, but this is my point. It's, an, un, an unknown third person and we go, wait, what? Who is this unknown third person? Well, it's unknown, we don't know. And then <laughs> CNN doesn't even report that and Axios doesn't even report that, which to me suggests they know who this person is and they're, not, they're leaving it out to not cause a political fear. And that's the whole point. You shouldn't be leaving information out regardless of who it assists or regardless of what politician it helps or regardless of how it makes the attack look or whatever. So, but they do, and that's how assholes like me have a living. So, Ben, I'm going to move on to Matt, so we can all get out of here and enjoy our afternoon. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for bringing us all down. I guess yeah, pull yeah. your money out. Of, pull your money out of the bank. Um, <laughs> get out of
4: that 401k. Stan. Right.
0: So, <laughs> do we have to preface this and say you are by no means giving us financial advice? This is, I don't know if there's laws on that, but um, there there are. This is okay. financial
4: advice. Great.
0: Well, I'm going to go throw myself out the window after this. Matt, you got the last. <laughs> you got the luck. honors of being last. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm not going to have be as uh, funny because I think
5: I can't compete with the uh, uh, pilot conversation you just had with Ben. But um, you always make a really good analogy of Trump kind of essentially lost the 2020 race when he got COVID, and kind of the the message or the ad was, if he can't stop himself and protect himself from getting COVID, can he protect you, so to speak?
0: Is yeah, this, well, the messaging was, it's not that big of a deal, it's going to go away, and then it doesn't okay, go away. Fine, and he, he, fine. Everyone remembers, like Tucker Carlson told him in March, like, you're going to lose the election if you don't start taking the shit seriously, and Trump was like, I'm not going to lose the election over this, and Tucker was like, yes, you fucking are, and then Great, that's you when, just made that's when Trump cause... gave his first, his first kind of serious, you know, presser that wasn't full of antics and whatever, and yeah. then when he caught it. Uh, that close to the election where it took one, it took him off the campaign trail and he beat Hillary by out campaigning her. And when you take Trump off the campaign trail, when Biden already isn't doing it, uh, he's not able to show up in person and do that stuff Two, Uh, because he, you know, he was sick and they were obviously downplaying it and things like that. Three, again, it becomes the tone. It's it's like you said, if he, if he can catch it and whatever, and he's not taking it serious, then, you know, we need someone in there who might.
5: Yeah. And I think you just made my point, because now if I'm the GOP, you're cutting ads of, you know, crime's one of the biggest issues in the midterms. If Pelosi can't keep her own, you know, drunken husband safe in her city run by her, how can she keep you safe as a speaker of the House?
0: Yeah. And it's it's also the thing with Fetterman, Uh, you know, Fetterman. Ignored. It's not that he had a stroke. It's that he had a heart attack first and then didn't take medication, didn't see his doctors, didn't follow up with a cardiologist, didn't do that for five years. And of course, because it's an ongoing condition, he had another incident which caused a stroke. And my thing there is, if Fetterman, if he can't even take care of himself, what makes you think he's going to be in the Senate looking out for you? Well, no, the better. I also noticed on the podcast, he, his team, after they went after the captioning service, they blamed the captioning service, saying it was riddled with errors and it didn't keep up and it was whatever. Um I was kind of like they then they released it and said, fine, if you want to throw us under the bus, here's what here's what happened. We offered you cap. You requested us. Okay, we we didn't come to you. You requested us. We said, Okay, we'll accommodate you. We did this to accommodate your candidacy to help you to look competent, whatever. And we offered you. Remember, the Federman campaign wanted captioning plus two run throughs. So they wanted to know all the questions and everything, the two practice sessions. And they didn't do that, but they did do a a test run and the captioning service offered them a test run for both candidates to say, this is how this is going to look. Fetterman only did it once. And to me, as I said on my podcast, that to me speaks volumes of, you know, is this guy, one, is he up for the job? And two, this is a guy who's notoriously fucking lazy. And
2: yeah,
5: and
0: I think when I was watching the fact that, he didn't take and... advantage of both walkthroughs. And now he's they're blaming his bad performance on that. That to me was like, I think one of my subbers, or whatever, Vanessa said, the end fucking smoke this guy. Like, stop feeling sorry for him. fucking smoke him and send him and his wife to the ash heap of history. Like, just get the fact that they did that, where they demanded a captioning service. And then when he clearly gets up there and cannot speak words. Um, you want to cut social security and you know, like when he just has these moments and he can't speak and then the only way you can spin it is to throw the captioning service that was there to help you, you go out and you say, Oh, it's fucking riddled with errors, or whatever like that. That to me is unacceptable. But that, that's that was the moment I'm like, Yeah, fuck this guy. I don't feel sorry for this guy at all. I don't
5: either. And I'm going to say something real quick about the Fetterman debate. But we've been talking about Fetterman since Labor Day, I feel like. I'm starting, I to, I'm starting to I'm starting to get a tumor. The, just yeah, like, I mean, there's it. a
0: lot there in, in yeah. media how well, media covers up health conditions. And that feeds directly into what aren't they telling us about Biden? If from a
5: policy standpoint, he is the poster child for the argument against socialized or nationalized health care, because this person did not take care of himself, didn't see a doctor for five years, stop taking medication that he was supposed to, has a stroke, which is terrible. But now we as taxpayers have to pay for his health care because he was basically didn't take personal accountability. Um, The point I want to talk about is tying the Pelosi, Paul Pelosi story in with Twitter, Um, because my reaction, I've been on Twitter for many years. I used to like it. Now it's just useless. Um, one, One story that trended for me all week was the first thing I would look at when I opened up the app was there's a digitally altered video of Jill Biden. And here's the fact check on it. That was the top thing yeah. every time I opened
0: the app. So yeah someone didn't actually curse at Joe Biden. Whatever, whatever it was. checking means. Yeah, there, it's
5: a it's a political psyop, right? So now that those these people are out of there and, and Musk is in, there's two things. There's the shadow banning, but there's also an amplification of people on that platform. And like Aaron Rupert, who I mute, I don't follow him, and he's muted. So I do see people. Obviously, when I can't see the tweet, I know it's probably one of the people I mute. But there is a certain level of misinformation, so to speak, being spread by people that are amplified by Twitter. And now that these people, hopefully, where if it's now more of a level playing field, they pull back all these like favorable algorithms and disfavorable to people like yourself. And now it's a level playing field. So if you're getting retweeted and you're getting amplified, it's organic the way the, the platform should be. It's your followers, it's your engagement, it's the shit you write. So this, I think this story might be one of the last stories that, really allows these people to tweet whatever the fuck they want, like Elon Omar in support of Paul Pelosi, and just naturally, because of the algo, get their tweets pushed out more than they normally would. And we might, we hopefully, we'll see these, like, innocuous stories that just shouldn't get any fucking daylight just start to just become less about a conversation nationally. I'm
0: really hoping that's what Musk does. Um, I I just, I want to see all manipulation gone. Um, I want to see something something else that I've noticed, and I don't know. So anyone who's had the sidebar on Twitter web, it used to be trends. So it'd just be whatever's trending, right? And it became more of a published sidebar where three or four stories were published, and then you got two trends. And I don't have that anymore. I just have trends and maybe one story. So right now I'm looking at... Chronicle, Texas shifting 39 million prisons to Operation Lone Star Border Mission. And the rest to me, trending Iran regime change, Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, Spirit Halloween, and Notre Dame at Syracuse. Those are my trends. Yeah, um, you want, mine are, um, I'm in front of the computer. Mine's Paul Pelosi,
5: Spirit Halloween, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Taylor Swift, who I probably mute the word Taylor Swift on Twitter, and then um, and then the world's tallest skyscraper.
0: She's been notoriously silent on this whole Paul Pelosi thing, by the way. She hasn't spoken out on this. Silence Mm -hmm. is violence. We don't know. Taylor needs to speak out and condemn this attack immediately. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm someone where social media is about a a level playing field. And this is why journals hate it. And this is why they've enjoyed what Twitter was. And this is why they all committed seppuku when, you know, Vanjaya and... uh, uh, or whatever the guy's name is. I just butchered his name. <laughs> uh, the CEO of Twitter were escorted out of the building. It's like they there went journals contacts right there. They're gone. And again, I, I don't, I don't care about followers and stuff like that, but I do notice I, I looked at social blade, uh, which I don't ever look at. I look at it once and I went, holy shit. I was like, yeah, cause it, I saw, I saw my count going up more than it has in the last four or five months. And I'm like, Okay. Um so I mean something that's interesting is I just I posted this political story about the third person in the room and I just went what? Like I I, I didn't any didn't comment on it it wasn't inflammatory I'm just kind of like what is this? This we're just hearing about this and I've got more retweets and favors on it than I've had on anything in 4 or 5 months. It's up to like 21 6,900 6, 6, likes. And I'm kind of like that's not that good of a tweet. I'm just like, what, what's going on here? So I, social media is meant to level the playing field. And that's, that's why journals in particular fucking hate it because yeah. they believe that you are to sit there and listen to what we tell you. And what we tell you is oftentimes garbage and junk food and bias. And we leave stuff out and you are not to sit there and question us and go, Hey, you're leaving things out. like, hold on, what's going on here? What's this? And, Old Twitter was very good, especially after the 2016 election where they blamed Twitter and Facebook for Hillary not winning. Uh, Right there is when they put in these guardrails that basically made Twitter a platform only for journalists. And then they went in there and they said anyone who's criticizing journalists – we're going to downvote. We're, we're going to code it to where nobody sees you or whatever. And that's all stuff. Again, I'm like, who, who gives a shit? Like you're on, you're still on the platform. Just use it. Don't worry about what Twitter's doing. Just fucking use it. Like, just run the ball. Who cares what they do? You know? And I was, the more I'm thinking about this. And like I said, if I, if that was happening to me, it was costing me money because I, you know, I promote my podcast, which is a subscribership podcast on Twitter. I don't pay for ads. And so I was sitting there just thinking about it. I got that eye twitch. I was like, "God, Twitter could have costed me thousands of dollars, I, depending on whatever people sub." I'm, I'm about mid tier. And so I, I think about I think that, about and this I'm like, "On your behalf, I'm yeah." Like, dude, I mean, this
5: guy's missing out on
0: revenue for his own small business because of right. Some, yeah. So but again, I also choose to do that. So I'm not someone who's sitting here like I'm going to sue you or no, I choose to do that. I could probably put money into advertising. I go to Instagram. I can do all of that stuff. But that's why you saw this freak out is it's it's basically, again, safety and censorship go hand in hand with these people. The terminology is interchangeable. So that's why suddenly the Atlantic is now on TikTok and the AP is on TikTok. And I have a piece coming out about that saying, so you're telling me you're going to leave Twitter to go to an app that is a Chinese surveillance app for the CCP. Uh, That means that makes sense for someone like Tom Nichols, who can't answer if he believes Taiwan is an autonomous country. But um, that's funny to me. Like, how is it you guys don't even ask? You guys are so concerned with Elon Musk that you're going to an app that is essentially run by the Chinese government is is, in in my opinion is a, is a cultural psyop. Um, So yeah, I, I look at it and like I said, it's I think the best thing that could happen to Twitter is it does get devalued by journalists. It stops being the center of the universe for journalists Um, And it kind of just becomes like MySpace. Um, It becomes kind of like a niche app uh, where people kind of want to be a part of it. Young people aren't really signing up for it. I have a niece who's in college and she's not on it. She's on TikTok and Snapchat. Um, And so the fact that journalists themselves put so much emphasis on what Twitter is and it's unique because it's a live thing. And that's to me to me that's how you get caught up in it. it's like you you when a live event happens that's the place to go because people who are there can tweet it out and whatever and you're finding out what's going on and that's why journalists value it so much but they also value it as a messaging tool and they need to get away from that and the second that you know like the new york times last sunday i think their front page was all tweets like literally tweets about you know how the right uses satanist language or something and i'm thinking 90% of the country's not even on Twitter. And yet here's the front page of the New York Times. Like, what are you guys doing? Um, and so to me, that that's the best thing that could happen. I don't think Musk is going to let that happen. I mean,
5: can, can, can I ask you one? Can I ask you one more question? Yeah, I'm just gonna hop go off. And, and it's just something I've been thinking about, because I think I'm similar to you. But the whole COVID thing, it bothers me to no end that Millions of people have died, and no one has. Um, and so, I read a little bit about the Vanity Fair pro Republica article yeah. briefly, or some snippets of it. I would be interested, you don't have to talk about it now, but like maybe for a little bit. What what would have happened during COVID in 2020? How would we have reacted if it was allowed to be talked about, or if we took it, if the US basically said, yes, this was. And we did like a, a, an investigation in parallel during that year and it came out in June and it didn't get, um, you know, turned into misinformation and we acknowledged that it was an actual lab, lab leak because people knew. So does Fauci go away early on? Cause he lied about it. Like how, how's the outcome of COVID and our response different?
0: Or is it not? Um, I don't think it would have changed anything uh, the way. Media lionized Anthony Fauci as a antagonist for Donald Trump, which is all they cared about. They just cared about the antagonistic relationship that Trump was creating with Fauci or whatever. And Fauci, to his credit, people forget early on that he was like, no, we have a good relationship. There's nothing there, which I think was the right way to go. Even though Fauci probably thought Trump was crazy with some of his shit and vice versa, but if it definitely had come out, whatever, it wouldn't have mattered. They 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 would have said, and because we're hearing the same thing, it doesn't matter how this happened. Um, it doesn't matter because we now we just have to figure it out and we just have to get through it. And that's that's the excuse they use whenever it's their team that causes something or something goes wrong. And it's every time we heard it with Benghazi, you know, we heard it with the IRS. It was it doesn't matter how these groups are targeted. Let's just move on and learn from it. Um, and without accountability. We know that one, it's going to happen again. Two, they're going to get away with it again. And I mean, I don't know how. I don't know what kind of the response I would would just kick China out of the, just isolate China completely. And but the problem is they have so much economic and cultural power where China can go. Ah, if you do that, we're going to take Taiwan and we're going to we're going to tank your fucking economy. And that's the problem with with China's influence and being this dependent upon a hostile power. Which is basically they released a virus out of a lab or whatever, and it was and it's you know a global Chernobyl event, and the world shrugged at it, and it's like 16 million people are dead, and nobody, and especially someone like Fauci, who they essentially admit the reason why they they didn't go with the lab leak is because they realized correctly that people are going to start pointing fingers at science and going, what the fuck are you guys doing? Um, and so, uh, I, sorry, I got to kick my trader san off because I'm getting ready to wrap up here. Sorry, Chris, you're too late. Sorry, Nope, nope, I got to remove you. Sorry, um, next time, Chris. Um, but no, there. I don't think the response would have been much any different. Uh, but I would have liked. We didn't even, I think, even convene the United Nations on this. And of course, China has a vetoing vote at the United Nations. And so that's one of the most frustrating things about this is. The people who tell us, you know, who are the most interested, we have to find out what this is. Fauci, Collins, uh, Pete, you know, Peter Dachic, who is not an American citizen, so I don't think he can be deposed in front of Congress. Um, th- zero interest because they know it's their butts on the line, and so I-, I honestly think, like John Stewart said it right, it's like you know, science is very. Concerned with this global pandemic that was most likely caused by science, and they're still doing it. They're they're doing another. They're creating a more lethal form of monkeypox in Boston. They were just uh, Fauci's department just did another grant for Echo Health Alliance to study bad like guys. Enough. S- cut all of this funding. Enough. Be done with it. And I think that any presidential candidate uh, who makes that case uh, is going to be very very popular. Uh, I had one, I had one last kind of thought, but I, I lost it and I, I want to get, get on with my day. So um, this has been episode 55, a uh, lot of good, lot of good chats, a uh, lot of good callers today. Uh, we were talking Elon Musk and also the, uh, the mystery surroundings around the break-in in Paul Pelosi's house. And if I must say the, uh, the weird timing of it. Uh, so I really hope that the situation gets cleared up and uh, it kind of absolves of all of our worst fears about what this actually is. So we'll see. Um, I'm Stephen o. Miller. This has been versus media live. Once again, thanks to my callers. It's a good episode and uh, thanks. to I'll leave you guys for joining in. Um, you've kept uh, my show kind of towards the top here on this app, which has a lot of uh, bigger names than me. And, uh, it's, it's encouraging to see. And I like doing this. And like I said, uh, starting off with that, uh, with my first caller who's a voter in Georgia who's like, nope, this ain't Jim Crow. It's the biggest thing that you can do to push back against dishonest media, dishonest narratives. Uh, you guys really are the, the best asset for doing that, uh, which is why I like talking to you and I like having the show in this format. So again, thank you. Uh, I'll be back on Patreon Wednesday. <laughs> I said Tuesday. But I've been going, even I, even though I haven't recorded the podcast, I've just been going nonstop. So I'm giving myself an extra day. Uh, but I'll go Wednesday through Saturday. Uh, I am on Kennedy Monday night.